He was known as coach by the people in Fruitport, Michigan. He was a faithful husband to Lori, his wife of 44 years, a caring father to his four children, and a super fan of his nine grandchildren. Coach Ken Ernie, at just 67 years of age, passed away on Sunday, June 4th from ALS. On today's Cedarville Stories podcast, we're going back into the archives so we can pay tribute to a man who loved Jesus and showed this love to his family, former students, athletes, friends, and residents in Fruitport. Ken graduated from Cedarville University in 1978 with a degree in social science comprehension. He was a member of Cedarville's tennis team coached by Murray Murdoch, and after marrying Lori on June 23, 1979, he began his ministry by coaching soccer and teaching at Fruitport Faith Christian School. After the school's closing and a stint as an educator with Calvary Schools in Michigan, Ken was hired by Fruitport Community Schools and served as the inaugural coach of the Fruitport High School boys soccer team, a position he held from 1990 to 2008. In 2015, Ken was inducted into the Michigan High School Soccer Association Coaches Hall of Fame. Ken also served as the school's athletic director from 1996 until he was diagnosed with ALS in 2020. His servant leadership in the workplace and at home was exemplary, and he valued character and integrity above any accomplishments. His natural humor and witty one-liners regularly brought joy to others, and he often cited the famous Don't Give Up speech from the late Jim Valvano, and truly sought to laugh, cry, and think each day. It is this man, Coach Ken Ernie, that we pay tribute today on the Cedarville Stories podcast. And now, here's my conversation with Coach Ken Ernie from July 15th, 2021. Ken is fresh off a week's vacation down in sunny Florida. So how was the sunshine state for you, Ken? To be honest with you, uh, the weather was nicer when we came back to Michigan than it was that week in Florida. But it was all about visiting um, my son, who is an assistant athletic director at a, a community college called Santa Fe. Okay. Uh, visiting him and his family and our little one-year-old granddaughter that we rarely got a chance to see. So oh. that was the special part of it. Where in Florida did you go? Uh, Gainesville. Okay, so that's way up north. So that, that speaks to why it wasn't great weather, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. It's starting to get into summer summer mode there with showers every day, that type of thing. And I understand your idea about uh, weather was better when you came back up to Michigan. You know, I visit my parents who live in uh, the St. Joe, Michigan area. Uh, regularly and uh, like every time we come up there it's it's blue sky sunny and my dad always says this is just how it is in Michigan so uh, I guess that's the way it is well my story about Michigan is um, the first time I was there I promised I would never come back so it's a little <laughs> different than yours we were playing tennis at Spring Arbor and Hillsdale on a weekend trip yeah. and it was it was uh, 70 mile an hour winds tornado watches snow and rain and we still played the matches somehow and I promised myself, which I know you should never do, is I will never live in Michigan because I thought it was like that all the time. Yeah. True story is that it's not. It's a beautiful place to live. We've been here for um, 40 plus years now, and it's been a great place. West Michigan especially is awesome. Yeah, West Michigan is is uh, it's hard to beat unless you go to the Upper Peninsula, and but uh, we won't <laughs> we won't go there today. So. Um, mm. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, Ken graduated from Cedarville uh, back in 1978. Uh, he's originally from Burlington, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. I'm interested, Ken, how did you decide to enroll at Cedarville from being from New Jersey? 
Um, we had some people from our church, first of all, that were from Cedarville or attended Cedarville, respected them highly. They spoke highly of the school. Um, we did uh, apply to a couple places. And the irony of one is that there's a uh, school in Indiana that I applied to as well as Cedarville. And for some reason on the physical forms that they have, I still, I think they still probably do it. All the doctor check boxes, whether you have ever had these diseases or not. Yeah. I believe the forms were different for Cedarville's than they were for the other school. And the doctor just checked the left side of both. And the left side on the one in Indiana showed that I must have had every conceivable sickness and ailment. <laughs> and I never even turned it in. I thought they don't want to see this. So uh, I went to Cedarville after visiting, played some tennis um, with uh, Kirk Martin, who we just talked about a little while ago, and uh, met Dr. Murdoch and, and kind of fell in love with Cedarville at that point uh, during my senior year. So it was people who I knew that just spoke highly of it. And then it was the visit uh, that went well during that senior year. Uh, that's, that's really neat to hear. And it's not a story that's unfamiliar to me because I hear that with prospective students even today that uh, they come to campus, uh, they meet the people, they see the campus. Obviously, it's a, it's a fit academically and spiritually, and they just fall in love with what's here because uh, mm -hmm. uh, this is a special place, and you know that uh, better than I do. Um, but as I look back I, at your college years now, uh, you mentioned to it, it's been 40, actually 43 years if my math is correct. Um, what would you say were the defining moments that uh, set you on a course for serving and teaching others so well with a gospel purpose? Well, it took a while to declare a major, I think almost four complete semesters. Um, and I gotta say that like thousands of people, the influence of Murray Murdoch, Coach Murdoch, yeah. has to be the first thing that comes to mind as a coach but also as a history teacher. I listened recently uh, to his most recent podcast, yeah. and it's almost like I could hear his voice 40-some years ago um, talking about the history lectures and talking about uh, contemporary issues then that apply now, uh, talking about the Christian mindset. That stuff like rung a bell with me. So I think that he was influential in choosing a major, going into education, um, as well as in coaching, an enormous influence. Well, that's, um, again, that's not surprising to hear, knowing, uh, no. <laughs> knowing Dr. Murdoch uh, as well as we both do. And uh, um, it's, it's, it's fun and enjoyable to watch him still move around campus, still in, impact students. He does it a little slower today than he did when you were back uh, as a student. That's obvious. He's uh, in his 80s. Uh, but he's still doing well, um, so that's great to hear. So soon after you graduated from Cedarville, uh, you were hired by Fruitport Faith Christian to teach history and launch the school's first ever soccer program. That, there was a theme there, um, and you also served as the AD. Uh, but then in 1990, you were hired by Fruitport Community Education to coach Fruitport's first soccer program for that school. How difficult or easy is it to start two soccer programs from scratch? Well, when I first started in um, 1990 at um, the high school, there was some established uh, 
relationships. There were, there were uh, club teams that we started, summer programs, summer camps. But if I go back to 1978, our community was so new to soccer, it was a real plus. Um, there were no experts, parents. Right, um, right. There was no experienced players. And it's almost like it didn't matter what I knew. <laughs> they seem to buy in and yeah. it's a whole different culture. Now we don't have to talk about that part, but it was wide open arms, so to speak to this new sport. Um, and it wasn't new to absolutely everyone in West Michigan. There were the Christian reform private schools that have been playing it for years, but it wasn't in public schools yet. It wasn't in a lot of the Christian schools uh, that I'm associated with. So it was just, it was a golden opportunity. So, um, Fast forward to 1990, moving over to Fruitport Community Schools, yeah. uh, the public school system. It was a football school. It's a football community. You know, it's big time football in, in this area. And um, people said that you'll never get along with football coaches or you'll never be able to change the culture. But because of some established relationships, some youth camps and all those things, like I said, there were open arms. Even with our football coach, we worked together. We provided kickers for them and and we were a big enough school that there were some years where both football and soccer were successful and I think it's because how you treat people counts how it matters so and that's not directly answering your question specifically but it was it was easier than harder mm -hmm. in both cases to start a soccer program one because nobody knew anything about it and two because the relationships have been established of uh, trust and of, of hard work. So you talk about uh, the relationships. I mean, you, you hit you hit on a, a key element that sometimes is lacking in our society today of us working together. You see it in politics every day. Where did you learn the importance of working together, even if you don't agree? Yeah, I th I think part of it may be in the wiring of who I am. Um, and, and I look to my parents and and grandparents and, and uh, blessed by them and, and how they operate with, with people. I think it's a simple principle and it, it, it's not easy to, to say, but it's, it's treat everybody really, really well. Everybody you come in contact with. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you disagree with them or not. So if you live by that, um, that opens a lot of doors, treat people well. Yeah. Good, good point. So in 2008, uh, you stepped away from coaching. Um, and at last September, you stepped away from being the athletic director at Fruitport High School. It's not something that you wanted to do, but health right. reasons uh, drove you to that decision. Can you share with us what was going on with you from a health perspective that led you to that decision? Yeah. Um, first of all, I, would, I had in mind that maybe I would stay a couple more years. We were building a new high school, and I would have loved to have uh, been a part of that. And I was also kind of training a uh, a man for being my predecessor, which uh, was really important to me that we prepare, you know, the next l person. But little did I know two years ago that I would be training him to start sooner than later. Right. Uh, so uh, just as COVID hit last winter, late last winter, that uh, was March when everything shut down. It was the first time I noticed there's something physically wrong. Mm -hmm. But then as I looked back, it probably started in January, but I was working so hard and busy that it wasn't something that I wanted to pay attention to yeah. and didn't. So um, 
when the shutdown happened and we're going from 60 hour weeks or 70 hour weeks to zero uh, working from home, I noticed that my leg wasn't working right. My foot wasn't stepping right. And at first I thought I just had bad shoes. And so I went out and bought really expensive <laughs> shoes and that wasn't the case. So um, COVID did not allow us to get tested or go in and see you know medical people for quite a while when the chance came. Uh, we had EMG tests and uh, the results were something's wrong, but we don't know what it is. And we pretty sure it's not any of the bad stuff. It's not MS, it's not ALS. So I was assuming in March and April that in May of last year that probably I had a bad back, you know, guys our age sometimes have disc problems or whatever. And, um, and so we didn't know what the, what the deal was, but um, there was an appointment for a specialist that was gonna be June the 30th. And so the only thing I could do is look online and say, what, what could this possibly be? Now there's some dangers in that. Right. But um, there's some decent websites too. And it's funny that my symptoms as they got progressed, uh, checked all the boxes for ALS. And the very last thing, the, the box is that it says it's very rare. There's only 30,000 people in the country that, that have it. So I figured it couldn't, it couldn't be me because it's too rare. Right. It's like you can't win the million dollar lottery. It's just too rare. Right. So I just assumed I had that back injury until June the 30th came. I uh, went to Spectrum in Grand Rapids and um, the specialist there uh, said, I, I think you got ALS. And it was, it was kind of strange because I went by myself think, telling Lori, my wife, that you don't have to go. It's going to be a back injury. And so he said, well, you better come back tomorrow and bring your wife and we'll redo all the tests. So on that day, June the 30th of last year, um, it was confirmed that ALS was a diagnosis. Mm. And, um, and you, you're sitting there wondering how all this works. And uh, I, I asked the doctor, well, what do we do? And he said, go home and grieve. Um, because this is a disease that's progressive. There's no cure and it's fatal. Mm. So in my little mind, I'm trying to think of something humorous to respond about, you know, cause I want to keep it. And I kept it to myself, but like nothing came out. I just, it just couldn't comprehend it. So we did go home and comprehend. But before we did that, my family, uh, almost all of them, except for my son in Florida, gathered around in a park that was about a quarter mile from the hospital. And to me, that was the start of our journey. Yeah, uh, We sat around quietly, we prayed, we shouted, we cried. Mm. It, was, it was day one where everybody said, I'm with you in this journey. Yeah. So it's emotional and it's part of this disease too. Yeah. So forgive me if it no, that's the voice cracked. Um, but that was day one. And you know what? Uh, I just was thinking that within hours of that, my wife and I were driving home. And for the very first time, we heard the song by Big Daddy Weave, I Know. Yeah. And it was like, are you kidding? This is, this, this is the words that we're feeling. Yeah. And um, we're going to trust God in this. And, and so day one, uh, of this diagnosis, we chart as that day with so much family support, so much feeling that God has joined us in this mess. Yeah. And ready to go. Yeah. So I don't know what day you're on right now, but <laughs> how are you doing physically? 
Um, I'm understanding that it's progressive because I you feel it. Um, it's it started with a weakness in the legs and it's still there and they're getting weaker. So it's hard to walk, hard to stand. Okay. I still have a lot of other functions I'm thankful for. Um, I do feel like my arms are getting weaker and, um, um, you know, there's constant muscle twitching going on 24 hours a day, that type of thing. But it's interesting because it's, it's mostly a painless disease mm. and, um, I'm kind of a wimp. So I'm really <laughs> glad that I don't have pain. It's generally weakness and fatigue like crazy, um, which I'm not used to either because of previously going through, you know, long work weeks and you're going a hundred miles an hour. Right. And, uh, so fatigue and weakness. Um, I know that it eventually affects your voice, um, your breathing, your ability to swallow, your ability to eat, your ability to, to, uh, function and move and so forth. But I'm thankful that right now, and it's probably been 15 months since first feeling symptoms, um, it tends to be in legs, uh, the weakness and no ability to walk very quickly or stand up for more than a minute or two. Is that typical that it starts in the legs or, or no? It is, it is a strange disease. Um, I think the best place for it to start is in the limbs, arms or legs. Sometimes it starts in people's throat uh, or chest and it's, uh, that particular episode tends to be much quicker uh, and much more fatal quicker, uh, quickly, I should say. So it's all over. It's, it's different with so many people. I think that's why in diagnosing, um, I hear that 40% of diagnoses are false negatives. Okay. Um, they don't come around to ALS until they've tried everything else out. Yeah. So on July 3rd of 2020, you shared this news, um, and what had to be a very emotional Facebook post. I, I read it. I don't want to read the whole thing here. I'm, you know, I'm a tear up myself. And, I, and this is the first time that we've met, and uh, I'm, I'm so moved by your story. But you wrote this. I am grateful it's early. Thankful that it started in the legs. Thankful for the stark reminder of value time, or to, to value time. God has promised to run t toward us, walk with us, never leave us alone in this struggle. What more can we ask? The words from the song Blessings have always been pertinent in the reality of the human struggle. And part of the lyrics say, what if, my, what if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of life are your mercies in disguise? I share that because that's a very meaningful uh, statement that you posted on Facebook back in July of 2020. 20. But I'm interested in knowing, how do you see your current path with ALS as God's mercies in disguise? Well, that's great because I want you to know and everybody listening that sometimes it's so easy to use God talk and faith and make yourself look good and all that. The fact is, is that there will be bad days. I know that. But like never before, I've experienced the presence of God. I mean, the scripture has been a part of my growing up and church and so forth for, for as long as I can remember. So some of the same scripture that I used to read, I see it so differently now. Mm. And it includes things like 
the struggles we're going through now, Second Corinthians four somewhere in there, are nothing compared to what lies ahead. Yeah. I um I think that God joins us in the mess that we're in, and he promises that. Um ALS in a sense has given me the opportunity to think deeper, to to grow in the scripture, to understand it totally different. It applies so much more directly to me than it ever has before. Um, his mercies in disguise also could be that I got to tell you, Mark, I've had some communication, some family members, um, some uh, conversation that I would never have had if it wasn't for ALS. Yeah. Um, you know, reading in the scripture is so much more meaning if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't have been able to do a lot of things that I get to do. I mean, this is morbid, but I get to plan a funeral. I get to uh, plan an estate, which I never paid attention to that stuff. And I never would have, but those conversations, those heartfelt times um, might be God saying, you know, you, you have this opportunity now. Yeah. I've had chances even after retirement to speak to small groups and to teams uh, and I'm blessed by that, but that wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have, if, if it wasn't for this, uh, let it be known that I hate ALS Yeah. and I hope that's okay. Yeah, it is. But where God and the scripture says rejoice in all things. I think he's saying your attitude, you can rejoice that God is good in spite of it. You don't have to be thankful for the disease, but be thankful for what opportunities now have risen that wouldn't have been there. And I, and I want to say, not only just the opportunities that you have now, which which you, you've outlined some, but you know, you, you don't want to leave your family. But where, where you're going, where we're all going who know Jesus, is far greater than the, the present struggles that we face every day, right? Right. Um, how, how's Lori doing and how's, how are the kids doing? Um, Lori is been a faithful wife for 42 years. I got to say that uh, I think she's a rock star. She struggles physically too. So we're both in this thing together in a lot of ways. Um, The kids have been unbelievable um, in support and so many things dealing with school and with uh, the home building that I haven't even talked about, but um, I just feel their support. They come alongside. Uh, we have good conversations together, and I and I think it's going to be that way. I just want them yeah. to to know how much they're loved and appreciated, and that they can never um, feel like they haven't done enough because I already feel like they have. Yeah, and I bet you tell them that all the time now, even more than you ever would. Well, interestingly, Mark, a few minutes ago before this, I got back to this project. They, they give you a recorder and this recorder you, you use when you can to relay messages. They might be dealing with uh, how you feel or, or, or orders of what you'd like to do or what you need. But I'm trying to use it as messages to my children and grandchildren more than anything. My wife, loved ones, uh, read scripture, yeah. read children's books, stories and so forth. So uh, it's hard to do because you can't picture when they're going to need it. Right. But. Uh, there's a good chance that in this disease you lose your voice. And yet so far I'm just over a hundred messages of uh, things that I want to leave with my family. It's hard to do to force yourself to do it on a beautiful sunny day. But uh, everyone in this business says 
do it now while you can. Yeah, that's a great that's great encouragement to do, and uh, it's a great treasure that your family will have. Before we conclude today's program, uh, I want to really wrap up. We're, we're we're near the end of the podcast, but I want to wrap up the program by going what what I say back to the future, so to speak. Um, when you were a student at Cedarville, you played on the tennis team, as you mentioned, that was coached by Murray Murdoch. As Dr. Murdoch um, actually joins us right now on the podcast, um, I wanted to reconnect uh, you, Ken, with your your coach. And uh, what what do you th- what do you have to say to Coach Coach Murdoch as uh, as he joins us here on the podcast? Hi, Dr. Murdoch. How you doing, Mark? Hey, say hi to your co- your stu- your your player, Ken Ernie. Hey, Ken, how you doing, man? <laughs> it's so good to see you, brother. I'm doing well, thank you. How about you? Oh, I'm good. You look great. <laughs> Thanks. You you bring back good memories, brother. It's just been really good to see you. Oh, hey, Murray. You, Ken. Murray, what what kind of player was uh, Ken Ernie in the day? He was a good player. Uh, one of our <laughs> one of our most devastating moments in the four years he was here was when he broke his wrist on the way to a major tournament. Remember that, Ken? Yeah. I sure do. Yeah, we were, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, we were playing Ashton College, and you broke your wrist, and you wanted to play so bad you could taste it. Yeah. And a chance for nationals went down the drain for me, but our team did go that year, Yes, too. we did. We were, but we lost a seeded player for the tournament, and that hurt like uh, everything. We weren't sure we were going to pull it off without you, but God <laughs> was good to us. Well, I don't know if it was that drastic, but um, – I remember, and and coach, this is you. You may not remember it, but it was a sleepless night, sitting there in pain, trying to sleep on the floor of wherever we were that night. And um, I probably kept you awake. And you said, "Well, why don't we just go to the hospital and get X-rays?" About four in the morning, you and I went to the emergency and confirmed and got a cast on. And I'm not sure, but I I'm thinking you and I went out to breakfast afterwards. You talk about relationships and impact. This negative experience was such a positive one for me for years to come, Coach. Oh, that's great, Ken. I remember that situation so graphically because it was <laughs> you were such a good guy and it was such a disappointment to you. I'll tell you how good a guy he is, Mark. My youngest son, Mark, was born in 69. And Mark always said, Ken Ernie's my favorite tennis player in the <laughs> whole world. I want to be a tennis player like Ken Ernie. You tell Mark I'll pay him later for that. <laughs> that's a, that's a great a great tribute to you, Ken uh, Murray. What what uh, what uh, rose Ken in the eyes of Mark so so highly? Well, if you've talked to Ken for half an hour or so, you probably already know the answer to that. He he was a wonderful, <laughs> godly kid. He was a beautiful teammate. He was the kind of guy that was the glue of the team. He really was because. Uh, he just cared so much. I'll tell you my my favorite story, Ken. I don't know whether you remember this, but you and Steve Stairs were playing. You were doubles partners, as I recall. Yeah. And you were playing a challenge match. And one of the best matches I've seen in the whole time I coached, and that was between teammates. And you won yeah. the match. And you came off the court in tears. And you said, Coach, why does winning hurt so much sometimes? <laughs> and that's one of my favorite stories of any athlete I've ever coached because the competitiveness was there, but the love for your teammate was there too. 
It is so good to see you guys interact. And I just watching you guys on screen it, it, um, just brings great emotion to me. And so um, I'm glad that uh, I was able to connect uh, you, Murray, with uh, Ken and uh, share a little bit. But I'm going to go back to uh, a question for Ken. And um, obviously, Coach Murdoch had an incredible impact on your on your life, on your coaching career. But um, the, the at the core of the Cedarville Stories podcast is to um, share Cedarville stories for God's glory. How how do you hope or believe you are bringing God glory right now as you walk through this journey of ALS and dealing with what you have to face? Well, walking through this, I mean, I'm just probably in the beginning stages, first of all, in, in a sense. Um, I think I've learned through experiences from Cedarville, from coaching, teaching, from people like Coach Murdoch, that um, there's a lesson out there, even especially for Christians, that um, life is messy, that God promises you to join you in the mess. He might not get you out of it. Um, and with that, I think there's an opportunity to reach into people's lives because look at, I'm not the only one suffering. Everybody will see this in their lives. I don't mean ALS, but right. suffering and pain of some kind. So I'm normal. I'm not unique in any way, but I really think that there's so many opportunities because of this to reach into lives and care about them because life is messy. And yet we have a God who says, I'll come right alongside you and I won't leave you uh, in spite of anything. And that the future is is so much better compared to what we're going through now. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Dr. Murdoch, any, uh, any parting comments to your former uh, star athlete? Well, Ken, I, I, I think of you and Laurie often and pray for you faithfully. I want you to know we love you. And I've never met any of your kids, but I, I feel like I know them because of I know you and Lori so well. And uh, give my love to Lori and know that we're praying for all of you. Amen. I will do that, Coach. It's so special to to have this connection. I had no idea Mark was going to do this, Coach. I heard your podcast, uh, the most recent one, and it was almost as if I was still in your classroom <laughs> when we're talking about a Christian mindset and uh, Christian worldview and uh, facts aren't neutral. I love that. Amen. And it's just been a refresher to, to hear what I heard years ago and your steadiness over the years. It's like unprecedented. Thank you so much for who you are. Well, thanks for who you are too, Ken. Love you, man. All right. God bless you, brother. And I, I'm just thankful to, to be the third party in this conversation because uh, it's been a joy to, to be with both of you. Ken, it's obviously the first time that we've ever spoken. Uh, in, well, other than a brief time on the phone, I, I guess. But uh, I, I've just grown to admire you so much already. Uh, I love you too and uh, as a brother. And uh, I'll, I'll be praying for you and your journey. And I want to encourage uh, all those who are listening to this podcast today to pray for Ken and Lori as they walk through this tough journey of ALS. Uh, they're, in, they're in it together. Um, the Lord will not leave us or forsake us, and he won't leave Ken or Lori as well. And So pray for Ken, Lori, and, and, the, and the family as they walk through this. And uh, Ken, uh, thanks for being my guest today on the Cedarville Stories podcast, and I hope to uh, talk to you again down the road. It was really special. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Murdoch, as well.
Thanks, Mark, for making that arrangement. That was really cool. Thanks, Ken. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.